things first. This is about truth telling. I have no agenda. Zero. I always have questions. What's the problem? That's just who I am. This is what no mercy is all about. Hey, here I come. You can book it. Ah. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? Breath taking a move that I make. I give it everything I got. Cause that what it takes. I push the limit till it break. The heart of the brave. The soul of a legend with the will to be great. Hold up. Welcome. <laughs> Oh, my Lord. John Morant has officially been suspended for 25 games. What does this mean for him? What does this mean for the NBA? What does it mean for players in the future, considering how dudes tend to act, at least on occasion? All that, plus Conor McGregor, plus a whole bunch of other stuff going on. Stick around. The Stephen A. Smith Show is here. Holla at your boy. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest edition of the Stephen A. Smith Show, coming at you as I love to do several times a week, specifically Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays over YouTube, of course, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific. Always love having y'all. Always appreciate y'all joining the show. Remember, the show used to be called No Mercy. A couple of weeks ago, I transferred that name or changed that name altogether from No Mercy with Stephen A. Smith to the Stephen A. Smith Show. Why? Because you know who I am and that's just what I wanted to do. As always, I want to give thanks to my studio sponsor, our official studio sponsor. That would happen to be FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel is the official sports betting company of the Stephen A. Smith Show. By the way, um, the subscribers continues to grow. I think what is the number at that I'm at right now? Because I have the numbers right in front of me. You know, I never forget those. You know what I'm saying? Right now, I'm just doing my thing right now. Uh, nearly 187,000, 186,900 and change to be exact. So it'll be at 187,000. Appreciate the love. Can't do it this without y'all. Wouldn't be here if y'all didn't want me here. Okay, so let me be very, very clear about that. And thank you from the bottom of my heart. I love it when my subscribers grow. I don't do anything to fail. I do everything to win. And as far as I'm concerned, winning is having as many subscribers and many views per episode as I, as I can possibly pull off. So thank y'all again to make sure to, to subscribe to the Stephen A. Smith channel. Don't forget to click the bell to get notified about new content. Okay, by the way, um, before I go any further, bruh. Bam! Did you see that? Uh, this is something that YouTube uh, presents to folks that are fortunate and blessed enough to get to pass 100,000 subscribers. Like I said, I'm near 200,000, but they sent this plaque to me. Now, I'm thankful and I appreciate it. I'm shooting for more. I expect to have 200,000 by the end of the weekend, to be quite honest with you. I gotta tell you something. <sighs> A couple of young fellas were the ones that presented this to me, okay? A uh, couple of brothers from Power book, ghost, you know, so just want y'all to know that. I ain't going to give their names. I don't know if they want you to know, but they were there to present that to me. So I'm appreciative. and Thank you very much. Let me move on 
and address some things that needed to be addressed because John ja Morant was suspended. No surprise. John ja Morant got 25 games. The star of the Memphis Grizzlies of the National Basketball Association with a contract that's set to kick in that could have paid him in potential five years, $231 million. That John ja Morant got a 25-game suspension. Before any of y'all argue, it was fair. It was fair. Before any of y'all try to dispute it, he's lucky it wasn't more. He's lucky it wasn't half the season, which is 41 games. He's lucky it wasn't for a full season, even though that would have been completely egregious and I would have fought that to the death because he didn't deserve to be suspended for the year. The reality of the situation is that he won't be available for the first 25 games of the NBA season. And he deserves it. I don't say that with a smile on my face. I don't say that trying to be evil. I don't say that uh, because I wish anything wrong with the brother. I'm a huge fan of John Morant's, but I want him to be around. And so what we got to have is an understanding in a conversation. I'm talking about, it's, listen, all of us are brothers and sisters in the eyes of God. We're human beings. And at the end of the day, I judge people by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. OK, I don't believe that you're a no good bastard or you're a racist just because you're white. And I don't believe you're a saint because you share the same pigmentation as me, same hue as me. I don't fall for that. OK, there's good people and bad people everywhere. But I will never apologize for the fact for the fact of having a heightened level of sensitivity when it comes. To my brothers and sisters, I'm not anti anything, but I'll never apologize for being pro black ever to anybody. Because there's no need to apologize for that. There's a heightened level of concern that I have that I think all of us as black people should have. When it comes to trouble emanating from our community. If racist acts are being exacted against us, I got a problem with that. If we're doing stuff to ourselves, like shooting one another in Chicago or St. Louis or Baltimore, I got a problem with that. And I also have a problem with wannabe thugs. I'm not accusing Gerard Moran of that. I'm saying his actions look similar to those who have been wannabe thugs. Waving around a gun for no reason. Hanging with boys that's pointing lasers at other people in Indianapolis like they said he did before. Dancing in the car to music while waving a gun with a stripper while waving a gun and stuff like that. See, there's a little secret that ain't a secret. That a whole bunch of brothers out there know is absolutely positively the truth. That's right. I'm looking at you too, Gaff. I'm looking at you too, Jay. I'm looking at my team in here. One's a brother. One's a brother from another mother. We know if there is one thing that the hood, the streets, rough riders detest more than anything else is cats who made it that don't have to live like that but choose to do so anyway. Am I lying, Gav? Not lying. Not lying. When you do stuff like that, that's when you piss people off. I'm from Hollis, Queens, born in the Bronx, raised in Hollis since I was one years old. 
I was never some superstar basketball player when I was good enough to get scholarship, good enough to get a free ride. But I was never that dude. I was never some of the great guards that you saw in, in, in Queens, New York. The Kenny Andersons of the world. The Kenny's the Jet Smiths of the world. Or in Brooklyn or the Bronx, like the Rod Stricklands and the Stephon Marbury's of the world. The Wayne Pearl Washington's got rested. So I was never one of those dudes. Hell, I wasn't even Boo Harvey. You got to be from Queens to know who I'm talking about when they play the St. John's, by the way. I wasn't any of those dudes. I could ball good enough to get a basketball scholarship. I could ball good enough to be on the court with some of those cats, but I was not on their level. And drug dealers saved my life. Because what they said was, when you want to hang out in the street, you want to be on a corner, when you didn't mind dealing drugs, when you didn't mind putting yourself in that element and packing and acting like you was ready to do something to somebody, they hemmed me up real early. Excuse my language, but they said, yo, we see you on this corner again. We're going to bust your fucking ass. Get the fuck off these streets and slap me upside my damn head. That's what they said. I'm just quoting them. I don't throw out curse words just to be called out third curse words. Y'all know that about me. I don't do that other than damn or hell. That's not what I do. Because I imagine mama or my daughter's listening or mama listening in the past because she's still in my ear. Even though she's in heaven, she's always in my head. But that's what they said to me. And you know what else they said to me and I never forgot? We didn't have a choice. Yeah, we grew up poor just like you, but in the same breath, we made dumb choices when we were younger and now we in this game and we can't get out. So we, it is what it is. And we got to be what we got to be to survive. You don't have to do that. And my ass was broke. Trying to get a scholarship. John Morant is 23 years old. John Morant last year was making $12 million. John Morant signed a contract extension that potentially put him in position to get $231 million over the next five years. Down drain right now. Because you wanted to wave a gun, because you wanted to sit up there and, and buck rules that, and regulations that the NBA had put in, because you know they're big against gun violence. You've seen Steve Kerr speaking on it. You've seen Greg Popovich speaking on it. You've seen them abhorring and, 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 and just excoriating politicians. When are we going to do something? Remember when Steve Kerr did that last year at the finals? When, when Greg Popovich addressed the media just a few months ago and was talking about somebody that got killed and you had a politician talking about, we're looking into it. He said, look into what? He's dead. The NBA is not an organization, it's not an entity, it's not a commodity, it's not a brand that wants to have anything to do with guns. Nothing. You think they didn't tell John Morant that? You think that when John Morant ultimately got an eight-game suspension and came to the office of Adam Silver and then ultimately in the immediate aftermath of that interview with Adam Silver that day, he sat down with ESPN's Jalen Rose, looked him in the face and said, yo, 
I'm not that dude. I'm not that person. It was not my gun. I'm not about that life. I'm not about that element. Blah, 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 blah. That's what he said. Why do you think he got this 25-game suspension? Could it be because he lied to Adam Silver? Could it be because he looked him in the face and said, I'm not about that life. That's not how I'm living. It was an aberration. It'll never happen again. You don't have to worry about a thing with me, sir. I'm good. And then went out and did the damn thing again. Went out and did the damn thing again. So what I'm saying to you is, if you're Adam Silver, what were you supposed to do? What did you think he was going to do? You think that you're the commissioner of the league and you're going to tolerate somebody looking you in your face and lying, spitting in your face, figuratively speaking, and telling you it's raining? You think you're going to get away with that? See, one of the things that I try to do, and I try to do sitting here doing this podcast, I always tell you I'm never selling out. I'm always looking out. And what I'm trying to do is edify you about the game of life in corporate America as it presently existed. And if you don't want to listen, if you don't want to listen, don't listen. But if you're not listening, you're being a dumbass. Because here's the thing, and this is what pisses me off. When you got folks out there, because We'll point out how ill-advised this behavior is. We'll point out how you shouldn't do something like this. We'll point out all of those things. But we selling out because we looking out. So just let them go out there and do it, huh? Do what you want, when you want, how you want, right? But you got your hand out for somebody else's money. And you know where the BS comes in? Let's take out law enforcement. Let's take out the streets. It could be family. If somebody comes to you needing your money, do they get to tell you what the hell they want, when they want it, how they want it, and what they're going to do with it, no matter what, while they asking you for your money? You tell them to kiss your ass. But John Moran's supposed to be collecting millions. And the hell with the NBA. That's leading cats down a dead end. That's all you're doing. You're the sellouts. The ones that lead dudes down dead end paths, knowing there's no win. But you want to be brave and emboldened and save face. Where's the win? Where's the win? John Moran is getting paid $33 million next season. Ten of it is gone because of the suspension. Because he's being suspended for 25 games, which means the most games he can play is 57. Now he's not eligible for some of those postseason awards. First team All-NBA, second team All-NBA, third team All-NBA, league MVP honors, blah, blah, blah. He's not eligible for those awards. Because he's not eligible for those awards, you know what else is compromised? His Supermax. So right now, whether it's my colleagues, Brian Wintors and Adrian Wojnarowski at ESPN or somebody else, they've calculated that this decision by the commissioner brought on by John Moran is going to cost him approximately $60 million. Any of y'all giving him that money back? Take your time. I'll wait. Any hands? Show hands. Volunteer. Volunteer. Going to give him the money back? 
Hell, but they being real, Stephen A. It being real, I mean, damn. You gonna give him the money back? You gonna give him back? Or you really think that no matter how much money he's making, because he's still gonna make at least 20 million next year, no matter how much money he's making, he lost 60 million. You ain't got no problems with that, huh? None whatsoever. You know you're full of it. That is the problem. But it ain't going to happen on this show. Because on this show, we going to dot I's, we going to cross T's, and we going to show you what you got to lose and what you got to gain. I don't give a damn whether you like it or not. I ain't here to be your friend. I don't want to make enemies. But I'm going to call it like it is, and I'm going to call it like I see it. He cost himself $60 million. And let's analyze that. Do you know that the two times John Morant got caught, it was self-inflicted? It wasn't TMZ. It wasn't some reporter that dimed him out. He did it to himself. The first go-round, he was doing a selfie. The second go-round, his boy, supposed to be his boy, gonna put it live on Instagram. Live! I didn't bring up what we saw in the strip club. That's a different subject, although I would say this. Why in God's name would having a gun even be on your mind or in the equation when you had going on what you had going on on the strip club? That's a different subject. And if you need a gun, waving it around all funny and everything, while you had that going on in a strip club, then that's a strip club you don't need to be at. And oh, by the way, that was in Colorado. 5,280 feet above sea level. I could barely breathe. I was waking up with nosebleeds for crying out loud. But you had a strip club. Breathing heavy and all. While waving the gun. Well, hell, that's another way to look at it. I guess you could say that. That's why you're a superstar athlete. You can do things other people can't do. John Morant is going to come back with a vengeance. John Moran is going to be a superstar basketball player. He's going to be on a mission. And I think that he's going to do, he's going to wreak havoc. He's spectacular. And I'm rooting for him. I'm not rooting against him. But I want to remind John, just in case you're listening, that wasn't the only thing you did, my brother. There are things that are on social media that you are doing and your dad was right there. And I said this on TV earlier this morning. I'm going to say this to y'all again. I'm 55 years old. My mother, God rest her soul, passed away. Six years ago, game one, NBA Finals, Cavaliers, Warriors. I was 49. In my 49 years on this earth, my mother heard me curse once, once. 
And that's when I didn't know she was behind me. Because no matter how filthy my mouth can get on occasion, no matter what proclivity I might have to cuss somebody out, they get on my last damn nerves. I never did that. Out of sheer respect and, dare I say, fear of my mama. Matter of fact, I'm going to do everything that I can not to curse again. Because if she was alive, I know I wouldn't do it. Because I'd hear from her. I'd hear from her. She might call me up in the middle of the show. Watch your mouth. I didn't raise you that way. You don't talk like that. She'd be all over me. I bring that up to say, anybody... And I'm not accusing John Moran's father of not being a loving father. I'm not accusing him of not being a good parent. I'm, that, that's not my place. I would never say that. I respect that man. What I am saying is, if no matter what you're doing, no matter how you're acting, it, if it is in a unsavory way, in any way, whether it's drinking alcohol or drugs or strip clubs or anything like that, and I'm not saying anything like that. I'm saying if that were the case, there's a difference between somebody who does it and somebody who does it in front of their own parents. Either that person has no respect for the parents or the parent has given them every indication that it doesn't bother them. I bring all of that up because John Morant wasn't just suspended for 25 games. John Morant has to go through whatever procedural measures he has to go through in order to be reinstated by the commissioner. So it's 25 games, but it could actually be more if he doesn't meet the requirements they've set forth for him. I have no doubt that a lot of you out there are appalled. But here's what you should take into consideration. If somebody came to you and they said you could play, you could do this job and we're going to give you 12 million, 20 million, 30 million a year. But these are our stipulations. Wouldn't you honor them? We both know the answer to that question. Moving on, no matter what we say about John Morant, it pales into comparison to what we should be saying about Conor McGregor. You know this, brother, don't you? Conor McGregor of the UFC. Conor McGregor, um, in case you haven't heard the news, he's been accused of sexual assault. Again! McGregor has been accused of sexual assault four previous times, albeit all outside of the United States of America. As it pertains to this specific incident, according to the reports, he was accused of sexually assaulting a woman during game four of the NBA Finals game last week in Miami, according to legal letters obtained Thursday by ESPN. The woman said McGregor forced himself on her inside a VIP men's bathroom at the Casilla Center and that McGregor, quote, aggressively kissed her before attempting, before also attempting to force her into multiple sexual acts. 
Knicks. The woman is also accused of Miami Heat and NBA security and aiding in the attack by separating her from her friend and forcing her into the bathroom. McGregor is 34 years of age, categorically denies the allegations through his attorney, Barbara Giannis, I believe, who has said, quote, Mr. McGregor will not be intimidated. Attorney Ariel Mitchell, who's representing the woman, wrote in the letter to McGregor that the woman immediately contacted law enforcement and her law firm after the alleged attack. Mitchell also sent letters to the Heat and the NBA. There you have it. By the way, I talked about the four previous times McGregor has been accused of sexual assault outside of the United States, an assault in December 2018 by a woman in Dublin, Ireland, allegedly assaulting another woman outside a Dublin bar in 2019 and was accused of exposing himself to a woman inside a bar on a French island of Corsica. He has not faced any legal punishment and one case was dropped. I don't know any of the details. It's irresponsible to cast guilt or innocence on Conor McGregor, yet in this country you can say you are innocent until proven guilty. I know a lot of people want to avoid that. That's actually a legal fact. You're innocent until proven guilty. He has not been proven guilty. He has denied these allegations. He said there's no truth to it, not to mention the fact that the woman who was talking about being forcibly approached by Conor McGregor is also seen on video holding hands with him and walking into the bathroom. And according to my extraordinary producers here, her story, once the video came out, is different than the story she told prior to learning that there was a video out. That's not what I'm here to discuss. I'm here to discuss this right here, okay? Because it's very, very important. That everybody sees this. Um, do you remember when Conor McGregor fought Cowboy Don, Donald Cowboy Cerrone? That was January 18th, 2020. I was at that fight. Lasted 40 seconds. Cowboy Cerrone looked like a deer in headlights. He looked petrified. Not even Conor McGregor, just at the moment, the bright lights. He just looked petrified. He just did. I looked at it and I said, look, Joe Rogan, I don't know MMA like you do. I'm not no expert like you are. I don't. I get it, but I damn sure know a deer in headlights when I see one. And I'm looking at one right there. That's what that Cowboy Cerrone looked like that night. He later came out and admitted it. Nate Diaz backed me because he thought I was I was perfectly within my right to say what I say, or, or even though I wasn't an aficionado, and I'm not an aficionado with MMA. Point is, Cowboy Cerrone looked petrified. Conor McGregor won that fight. Do y'all know, as I'm looking here, that is the only fight that Conor McGregor has won in any round since knocking out Eddie Alvarez on November 12th, 2016, which is also a fight I attended. Conor McGregor has one win in seven years. Nearly seven years. Got one win. Now, at some point in time, you got to look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, Conor McGregor, why are you in this? Because I'm a fan. I'm a fan of Conor McGregor, the fighter. I'm a fan of Conor McGregor, the marketer. Hell, he got me wanting to drink proper 12. Okay, let me give his, his label some, some shine. I got it. Okay? But here's the reality. Do you have, 
Do you have any of that? And I hope Conor, Conor McGregor that you're listening because I'm not attaching guilt or innocence. I don't know what the hell happened. I'm only giving facts here. Do you realize that you have more allegations of sexual assault against you in the last seven years than you do wins? Let me repeat that. Conor McGregor has more accusations of sexual assault against him than wins in seven years. At some point in time, we're going to have to ask ourselves, when are we going to have enough of Conor McGregor? When he fights Michael Chandler soon, that to me is a mega fight because I think somebody getting knocked out. Conor can knock out Chandler, but Chandler might knock him out too. That's really a pick to me. It really, really is, even though I sort of lean towards Conor because I think he's a sharper striker. That's just me, but Con Michael Chandler's no joke. But let me tell you something. I mean, damn. You've got more accusations of sexual misconduct or sexual assault than you do wins. If you want to retire, retire. You made money hand over foot. You lost your edge. It makes perfect sense. You got to be animalistic in a pugilistic sport according to all the pugilists that I've spoken to. I get it. But if you're going to choose to fight, then fight. And by the way, against people that have a snowball's chance in hell of defending themselves. I'm not attaching guilt, but my God, how many accusations? At some point in time, even if you're completely innocent of the crime that you're being accused of, don't you have an obligation to at least look at yourself and say, I really, really, really got to straighten things out. I can't be putting myself in this position. You got a fiance. You got a fourth child on the way. I'm not talking guilt or innocence. I'm talking about putting yourself in a position. That's like the that's like some, on a far, far, far more innocuous level. You ever yeah, y'all get pulled over for speeding tickets. All right. How many times do you get to sit up there and say, yo, I wasn't speeding, the cop targeted me. Yo, I'm being profiled. Yo, it ain't right. I, I, I got that. I didn't get this ticket. I wasn't speeding. Well, damn, if you get pulled over six, seven different times, maybe you should resemble the Flintstones and, and pedal with your feet rather than drive. If you're getting accused that damn much, at some point in time, it's you just because it's an accusation. Just because. But that's not even where I'm going. Because I saw Conor McGregor that night. He said, hey, Steven. I said, what's up, Conor? How you doing, man? I'm happy to see him. I was very, had on this red velvet suit on. I didn't blame him for the mascot. The mascot knew what the skit was. He's supposed to make sure he had on something to protect his nose. You get something like that and people make a big deal. That's their problem. But when you're getting accused of stuff like this, that's not good. And we can't make a decision about that one way or another. But what I can speak about is your ass got one win in seven years. Now you're making money. Proper 12 doing good. 
You fat in your wallet and your bank account. You got a family. I get all that. But you got one win in seven years. One. Against a dude who was great as far as I'm concerned, except that night, Cowboy Cerrone looked like a Dan Headlights. Looked scared to death. Conor McGregor. You got more allegations of sexual assault or misconduct against you than wins. You got a win in 2020. You got accusations here, 2019, 2018. Another one, you got accusations from Dublin Island or the French Island of Corsica. Now you got this in Miami. We gonna win. We gonna win. Let me move on to a better sports topic. Because the other day I had the pleasure of interviewing a champion who, by the way, is never in trouble. All he does is put people in trouble. And that would be whoever steps in the ring against him. He's a bad somebody right now. He's got a mega fight coming up July 29th in Vegas. He is undefeated. He is the reigning defending WBO champion. He is Terrence Crawford. I spoke to him a few days ago, right before he was to begin his media tour to promote this fight on July 29th. And I want y'all to listen to this. Take a I've listen. I've waited a long time for this fight. It is July 29th. I just cannot wait. I can't stand when boxing makes us wait years and years and years for the fight we, the fights we've been clamoring for. Even though it's been too damn long for this fight to happen, Damn it, it's still happening. And when Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence Jr. are at an elite level, not beyond their prime, I just can't wait for this. Right now, the WBO, welterweight champion of the world, Terrence Crawford, is here with me right now. What's going on, big time? How are you, man? What's going on, man? Everything's going great up here where I'm at. All right, so what's training like for you? Put into your words, what is training like for you right now as you prepare for this fight in terms of how different it is compared to any other fight you have trained for in your career? Well, I wouldn't say it's no different. Uh, we're doing the same things that we normally been doing. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, again, I do understand that, and I totally believe you in terms of how you go about the business of handling your day-to-day uh, obligations and just doing what you're doing because, obviously, you're one of the best in the world. But is your mindset the same? I mean, this is the biggest fight of your career, Terrence Crawford. Is your mindset the same going into this fight as it would be going into any other fight? Of course. I always look at any fight that I ever stepped in the foot in the ring was one of my biggest fights of my career. Because one fight, you slip up, you go to the back of the bus, you know. So all my fights is big in my eyes. Were you fearful at any time as we've all been looking for this fight for so long? Were you fearful at any time? that this was a fight that was never going to happen because of how long it took for it to happen? Not at all. I always have faith that this fight will happen. And uh, it's here now, and we're giving the fans what they want. Now, when I think about you against Errol Spence Jr., once upon a time, I remember you. I don't know if you remember this, but we were in L.A. together. You were coming up to the ESPN facility. Yeah, you you, you rolled up on me, and you like what you think. You 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 think I can't beat this brother? You was talking to me about that, and I said to you, Terrence, I think you're one of the best in the world, bro. There's no doubt about it. But I think that you're too small 
Now here's how I changed my mind, Terrence. I think it was a mistake to make you wait as long as you've had to wait for this fight because it's giving you an opportunity to acclimate yourself to being 147, to bring in that power up a weight division with you. And, and now I, I, I'm not going to lie. I, I got you winning this fight. I got you winning this fight because of that. Can you speak to how much better you believe you are now compared to what you were years ago as a junior welterweight and why? Well, listen, I always tell people when we hit that scale, long as we 147 or a little below, we, we're the same weight. So all this, he's the bigger man, he's this, he's that. It goes out there. It goes in one ear and out the other because come way in time, we, we're the same weight. But, yes, I have got stronger. I have gotten used to the weight class. And, yeah, I'm more comfortable now than I was. In 2018. How do you feel about how you're perceived by the public at this particular moment in time in your career? What is it that people really, really don't know about Terrence Crawford that you think it's time they recognize about Terrence Crawford? I don't know. I'm 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 a simple type of guy, you know. But as far as boxing wise, anything, any question, any naysayers, whatever they're going to have, questions they're going to have are going to be answered July 29th. Do you feel you've been shortchanged by the public, that there's a lack of appreciation for the greatness that you've been putting on display for years? Of course. I feel like I'm one of the greatest fighters to ever do it. I feel like uh, all the great fighters, they don't get they just do until after they leave the sport of boxing. As you see, Every time I step foot in the ring with any top guy, they they tear him down. Oh, this guy was passing prime, or this guy was this, this guy was that. It's always you know something negative behind Terrence Crawford performance, mm-hmm. you know. So I just take it taking it in stride, you know. As long as I got the job done and look good doing it, that's all that matters. One of the things I used to hate, I I, I mean I loved it at one time because I love seeing your mom at the fights because nobody there's no bigger cheerleader there's a bigger cheerleader for you I've never seen her because mama's at the fights and she be cheering you on and stuff like that and you've never dif- disappointed her obviously but I'm looking at stuff like that I've seen your fights in Nebraska and I said the big stage is Vegas not that I doubted that you could handle it but I said the big stage is Vegas and now when we talk about Terrence Crawford versus Errol Spence Jr. we start thinking about some of the greatest welterweight fights in history Sugar Ray and Hearns, obviously Roberto Duran and Hearns, Roberto Duran, Sugar Ray Leonard, Leonard and Hag. I'm sorry, Leonard and Hagler. Even though that was at the middleweight division, Hearns and Hagler fighting at the middleweight division because Hagler never moved from there. I'm talking about the days of Papino Cuevas. I'm talking about Wilfredo Benitez, stuff like that. Aaron Pryor, Alexis Aguilar. Though as a lightweight fight, you know, a junior welterweight fight rather. I'm looking at you guys right now, and I'm saying this could be one of the greatest fights ever. How do you? view this upcoming fight July 29th against Errol Spence Jr. It's definitely one of the greatest matchups uh, in the last decades that I can think of. You got two strong, young, hungry fighters in a prime. You got one great fighter. You got one all-time great fighter and myself. And we putting it all on the line for undisputed. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes you know, the, the cherry on top of everything. 
that we fighting for the whole all the marbles. Yep. So you know, um, this fight is up there, if not past some of them fights that you just named. So yes, this is you know a big fight for for the history books. Do you see this fight demanding a rematch? Do you see a potential trilogy? Or do you anticipate it'll be such a lopsided contest that there won't be a rematch? What's your mindset going into this fight as it pertains to something like that? My mindset is going in there doing what I've been doing. And that's going in there, getting a stoppage, looking good, doing it, and, and making no doubt who the winner was. And if you win this fight in that fashion, have you... When I win it. When I, okay, okay, when you win it. Have you fantasized? Have you thought about what's next for you? Because a lot of people are looking at it and they're saying, okay, what's left in the welterweight division? Have, have, have you been of that mindset? Have you been thinking that way? Or, or are you satisfied with being at that 147, that welterweight division, and staying put for the foreseeable future? Well, I know in the past I said, you know, Charlo, I said other things, but I'm so locked in on Spence right now. I can't think of nothing other than. Earl Spence Jr. right now. Mm. I, I, you know, one of the things that I want to do before I let you get on out of here, Terrence, is that, you know, when I think about a sport like the UFC, one of the reasons that I give them so much credit is because when you have a guy like Dana White overseeing the sport, say what you will about him, what some people may say about him, but he definitely gives you the fights that you want to see when you want to see it. I think that's the biggest thing that's hurt the sport of boxing. The big fights are the big fights. And if you're elite and you're a part of a big fight, a big card, that's one thing. But in terms of actually building the sport, I think what's hurt the sport is that we've got to wait so long to see fights of this magnitude. As a fighter, do you ever find yourself thinking about that, being frustrated by the fact that promoters seem to have such a level of control over the sport? Do you ever find yourself thinking about that at all? Uh, not really. Not at all, because for the simple fact, I look at boxing on another level than UFC mm -hmm. as far as fighting-wise go. Mm -hmm. uh, if everybody got all the fights that they wanted to see in one year, then next year, who would there be to fight? Mm. You know, I think everything happened for a reason. I think, you know, you know, when you look at the guys that's fighting those type of guys and fighting those type of risks, mm -hmm. they don't even get half of what we're getting at yeah. the time that they fall. Right. So it's like you just put everything on the line and put your life on the line to fight this world champion, this this scary dude and yeah. He then broke your leg, and all you got paid was five hundred thousand dollars. Right, uh, I think it's crazy. Right, how much you know those guys sense. put their life on the line and their body, right. what they put their body through, just to get nickels and dimes mm. on on top of that. So I think boxing boxing is in a very good place right now. Mm -hmm. uh, Two thousand twenty three has been great for boxing. We've had a couple of great fights and I think that boxing is going to be here to stay. Yeah, that's a great answer, man. I got to give it to you. That's a great answer. Before I let you get on out of here, um, where do you believe you are right now in, in terms of pound for pound? I imagine it's number one, but just in case you say something different, I'm going to ask that question. Number one and number two, give me right now your top five fighters in the world, regardless of division. 
of course I feel like I'm number one. I've been number one for oof, years now in my eyes. Uh, ever since I would say Andre Ward left the game, mm-hmm. uh, I was always in conversations of being number one and number two, even when Andre Ward was here. But since Andre Ward left, I, w- I believe that Terrence Crawford has been number one okay. in, uh, in, in the world. Best fighters in the world. Top five. Top five. Right now, currently, right now. You're number one. Who's number two, three, four, and five? Oh, just with me. Uh, I'll say Terrence Crawford, Shakur Stevenson, Errol Spence, Canelo Alvarez. In a way. Who? In a way? In a way, yeah. Okay, okay. What about David Benavidez? What about him? You didn't mention him. Not top five. You don't kill, You don't consider David Benavidez top five? Nah. Wow. I think he might beat Canelo. I really do. I think he, he, got, I think he might he beat could. Canelo. He could, but when you're looking at everything that Canelo's has, have accomplished, okay. you know, uh, Canelo's still top five. What about Tyson Fury? Heavyweight. Heavyweight champ. When, when, you say, when you say pound for pound, I can't put a heavyweight that far <laughs> one weight class. I got you. You know, it's kind of hard. I you got know? you. I got you. I got you. That, make, that makes perfect sense. So on July 29th, when the fight with you and Errol Spence is over, it has concluded, outside of having your hand raised, what are we hearing about Terrence Crawford? What round is this going to end in? What is a commentator, a boxing analyst, et cetera? What are they going to be saying about Terrence Crawford that night? This, this guy is special. That's all you're going to be hearing. Mm. Terrence Crawford is special. Mm. That's it. I got you. Terrence Crawford, the reigning WBL welterweight champion of the world, fighting Errol Spence Jr., the reigning WBC, WBA, and IBF. Welterweight champion. They're going to unify all four belts July 29th in Vegas. I can't wait. I know you can't either. Thanks a lot for your time, my man. I really appreciate it, bro. Appreciate it. Thanks. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? Welcome back to Stephen A. Smith Show, and thanks again to um, Terrence Crawford. Um, boy, what a hell of a fight that's gonna be. Errol Spence is so special, but so is Terrence Crawford. He got a mean, nasty streak in him, too. Definitely an elite boxer. One of my producers here swears Errol Spence is going to beat him up, acting like I'm not a fan of Errol Spence. His name is Jay. He's a white boy that tries to look like a brother. He's cool, though. He's cool. Um, he's cool. Um, you know, you know, I got brothers around here, but, you know, you got to sprinkle it out. Diversity is key. Um, let me say this, though. <clears throat> That's going to be a hell of a fight. It's hard to pick one way or the other. I just suspect that Errol Spence Jr. made a mistake by waiting so long. Not that it was his fault. He didn't wait. 
the promoters and all that stuff. But just waiting so long for a fight with Terrence Crawford gave Terrence Crawford time to maturate to the 147-pound weight limit, the division, et cetera. So he was never phased by it, but hell, I think he should be. But now, I don't know. I don't know. Here's the sad part is this is one of the rare fights I don't want anybody to get knocked out because I love them both. But it looked like somebody might have to go. But then again, you know, never, never know. Like Conor McGregor, Michael Chandler, that's a knockout. Nobody surviving that. They ain't going five. They ain't going. They ain't going three rounds, five rounds. However long, how long is this? Neither one of them is a champion right now, so I think it's like three rounds. That ain't going that way unless they put they decide to put it five because it's Conor McGregor. But I'm telling you, that ain't going a distance because they just gonna throw haymakers. Somebody going down. Errol Spence, Terrence Crawford, not so sure. Um. What did you just say, my producer, with his 12 rounds? Oh, okay, because you almost killed me. I thought you were trying to say that somebody's going to get knocked down the two. I was going to immediately have you drug tested because that ain't make no damn sense. But okay. Anyway, getting back to um, that and just saying that, and I'll leave that alone. By the way, make sure to subscribe to the Stephen A. Smith channel. Don't forget to click the bell to get notified about, a, about any new content, okay? Just subscribe. Make sure to subscribe to Stephen A. Smith channel. Don't forget to click the bell. Don't forget to click the bell. All right. <clears throat> I want to change course here and I want to get to a different subject. Black people. We need to be careful. Black people. We need to be careful. I'm saying that because ex-Marine Daniel Penny. was indicted on a second-degree manslaughter charge in the May death of the homeless street performer Jordan Neely. New York City grand jurors indicted Penny following his use of a chokehold that took Neely's life. Neely was subway busker who often performed as Michael Jackson. That's what they describe him as. Penny and Neely were on the subway car when Neely began engaging in somewhat aggressive speech, according to several witnesses, saying, quote, he was hungry, he was thirsty, and that he didn't care about anything. He didn't care about going to jail. That's when Daniel Penny jumped into action. He's an ex-Marine. Neely was unconscious by the time first responders found him at the Broadway Lafayette Street slash Bleecker Street station before he was pronounced dead at the hospital. The city's medical examiner said Neely died from, quote, compression of neck which is the chokehold, and declared his manner of death a homicide, a routine term used by coroners and medical examiners to mean death caused by another person, but not a finding of criminal culpability. Lawyers for Neely's family said, quote, Daniel Penny did not have the right to be the judge, jury, and executioner, and that the indictment signaled, quote, the right result for the wrong he committed. Lawyers for Penny said the standard of evidence for a grand jury is very low, and there has been no finding of wrongdoing. The incident echoed the 1984 shooting of four black teenagers. Just reading from a report here. Four black teenagers on the New York City subway by Bernard Getz, a white man who feared he was being mugged. Dubbed the subway vigilante, Getz was acquitted of attempted murder and assault and convicted on weapons charges that landed him behind bars for eight months. Penny, who was white, said he acted to protect himself and other passengers when he confronted Neely, who was black. I didn't see a black man threatening passengers. I just saw a man threatening passengers, Penny said in a statement. I find that hard to believe. I find it hard to believe when anybody white says we don't see blackness. I just don't. I just find it hard to believe. 
You know, I'm not saying that make you wrong, makes you criminally intent and all this stuff. I'm just saying I find it hard to believe. I don't see color. I do. I'm a black man. I see white people every day. I know you're white. I know you're white. I recognize that. So when people say you don't see color, sorry, no one believes that. All right. The death last month has been a lightning rod on issues of mental health, crime and race. Nearly struggled with mental health for years. And his family said, particularly in years since his mother was murdered in 2007. Okay. So why do I say black people, we need to be careful? Daniel Penny is an ex-Marine. He's a man who served his country. He was on the train minding his business when Neely, according to several witnesses, came on the train and seemed a bit out of sorts and a bit threatening. My personal belief is that if you're an ex-Marine and you're gifted enough to know how to put someone in a chokehold, then you should be wise enough to know when to let him go. And the fact that you ended up holding on to him a bit too long until he was absolutely positively unconscious, here's where it also becomes a problem, sir. Because when you had Neely on the ground, there were two other people helping you. So why would you feel the need to continue to put that strong of a chokehold on it when you had assistance? That's a legitimate question, which is why I'm not knocking anybody for saying that he should have been indicted. I would tell you as an ex-Marine that somebody that went on the train and was minding his own business up to that point, you're going to have a jury of his peers potentially looking at him as a hero because of all the stuff that has been thrown over the news wires and the airwaves about violence in our subways, violence on our streets, and how somebody like a Daniel Penny is considered a good Samaritan. That's why they brought up the Bernard Gitz comparison. So when you have something like that going on, the reason why I say black people, we need to be careful is because we need to be consistent in our venom. We need to be consistent in how we hold folks accountable. You see, I think about the whole social justice movement. I think about the protests in the streets. I think about the number of unarmed black men that were killed by police officers and how folks were in the streets protesting. And then I compare that to the number of times black folks have killed one another and we've said nothing. Black lives matter or they don't. They don't just matter when it's at the hands of somebody white. Black lives matter or they don't. To me, they do. And so the level of adamance, vehemence, and disgust doesn't dissipate. Tyree Nichols, y'all remember him? Remember Tyree Nichols? Young man in Memphis. Beat 
to death by police officers, all of whom were black. I saw 65 minutes of video. The police didn't know that there was a camera in the street above the light that was filming everything. That's how they got caught. I saw them had him completely constrained, completely incapable of defending himself, and they beat the shit out of him. And they beat him, they beat him worse than Rodney King was beat. And we know this for a fact because Rodney King lived. LAPD, 1992, remember that? Prior to OJ, remember that? They beat the lip. Uh, they beat Rodney King so bad. I'm trying to figure out how could he still say, can we all just get along? I ain't getting along with people after that. But he said it, and that's a testament to him and the God in his life and in his spirit. I don't think I could have done it. Tyree Nichols never got that chance. Black police officers beat him to death. Gaff, I apologize. I may not remember. Do you remember protests? I mean, do you remember violence in the streets after that? Jay, I'm sorry. I know I missed something. Do you remember violence in the streets after that? Uh, how about you, Ashley? Do you remember that? Samadra, my personal assistant. I mean, you know, she she runs the show. I mean, did you do you, you remember any protests in the streets after that? No, no, no. Tyree Nichols. Tyree Nichols, you remember that? Memphis, Atlanta, Tennessee, Philly, New York, Carolina, both North and South, Florida, L.A. And remember that? Beat him to death. And the reason why I say black folks need to be careful is that at some point, at some moment, folks going to say we ain't trying to hear that. Because y'all ain't say nothing when X, Y, and Z happened. What you talking now for? So just remember, as we monitor this whole Daniel Penny situation, an ex-Marine served this country and somebody that, if all intended purposes at that moment on the, pl on the train, was minding his business until he saw somebody come in and appear to be dangerous because of the imagery of us and how it's perpetrated, by the way. I don't think they'll let the media off the hook with all of this. The point is that some would argue he took action and he's a hero because that's what some of them have been saying out there. Others are saying otherwise. I'm just saying let's make sure we're consistent in, in where we place our fervor and the reasons behind it. Otherwise, somebody's going to come along and call us on our hypocrisy. And we don't want that. Back with more to close out the show in a minute. You're listening to Stephen A. Don't go anywhere. This is the moment of a lifetime. Uh -huh. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gonna stop me high? Who gonna stop me high? Oh, my goodness. Before I get on out of here today, just a couple of things. And by the way, make sure to subscribe to the Stephen A. Smith channel. Don't forget to click the bell to get notified about new content. 
good feel good story kind of thing that touches your heart, you know. Um, <clears throat> Xavier Jones, a 14 year old boy from St. Louis, did something remarkably remarkable recently. He was determined to make it to his eighth grade graduation after his grandfather's car broke down. He was a student at Yeet Men Middle School, and the school's graduation was held on the campus of HBCU Harris Stowe State University. He wanted more than anything to walk across the stage and get his diploma. He was determined to pull that off. Unbeknownst to his grandfather and the school staff, Xavier came up with a plan to get to the graduation without a ride. He looked up Harris Stowe University on Google Maps, saw the walking distance, and thought he could probably make it. He recruited his brother and a friend to make the six-mile trek with him, and they walked the entire way. The journey took two, hour, two and a half hours to complete. He said, I want to walk across that stage. Harris Stowe State President Colin Smith was so moved by Xavier's determination, he gave him something to further his education and presented the team with a presidential full-ride scholarship to the university with tuition, books, and fees fully paid. He said that when he heard the story to see that young man who was so bright and excited and driven, it spoke volumes to him. I just led with my heart and my heart said, this is a kid that needs a scholarship. Check this one out, y'all. When Xavier was told that the school was giving him a quote, full ride, he didn't understand. Do you know why? He thought it meant he was going to get a ride home from the graduation. He had no idea until minutes later. And that's how it hit him. Props to President Colin Smith. Too much is given, much is required. And we're all <clears throat> better off when we dig deep and find the best within ourselves to extend to somebody else. Switching gears Father's Day is Sunday. <clears throat> I've never been big on Father's Day. I'm one of those guys who believes that being a daddy is the most thankless job in the world. Because little girls grow up. They love their daddy to death. They become a teenager. They don't want no parts of their daddy. They get older. They're looking for some money. That's how it is. You know what I'm saying? It's funny. <laughs> That's how I view my daughters. You know, they, I better make some money with the two daughters I've got because they something else. They're something else. But it's not because Father's Day has never been big to me, but it's not because of them. You know, if you read my book, Straight Shooter, Memoir of Second Chances and First Takes, it's a New York Times bestseller printed by Simon & Schuster. Audio book was a bestseller as well. And I never had the greatest relationship with my dad. You know, I just, um, to see my mother go through the things that she went through, it's kind of hard to put into words. You know, <clears throat> I want to say to a lot of men out there, especially black men. I don't want you to steer this conversation in the wrong direction. My father may have been a problem, 
My father was not the greatest father in the world. But I still loved him. I still eulogized him when he died. And on top of it all, I happen to know that the greatest falsehood, one of the greatest falsehood at the very least manufactured in this nation is that of the black father. There are a whole bunch of black men out here that are absolutely positively wonderful fathers. They would give their lives for their children at the drop of a hat. And I know from personal experience because you're looking at one. My daughters are my everything. They are the reason I live. They are the reason I breathe. They are the reason I smile every day. Ask anybody who's around me. I don't give a damn what's going on with me. The second I hear, Daddy, I smile. Because that's who they are to me. That's what they mean to me. And I never, ever, ever have known love like this. I thought I knew love because I loved my mother so much. But the love that you have for a child is the best and the worst thing that could have ever possibly happened to you. The best because that is a special kind of love that is unrivaled. It is the worst because it is a special kind of love that is unrivaled. You're never at peace. You're always worried. You're always wondering. You're always on dot and I's and crossing T's and figuring out everything because you're worried about them so much. But that's what a daddy is. Anybody could be a father. Anybody could sit up there, hook up with somebody, impregnate them. It's part of your seed. They're born into this world. Most men could pull that off. Most boys could pull that off. But a, f a father is one thing. A daddy is another. A daddy is somebody who takes care of his children. A daddy is somebody who provides and protects and prioritizes that above all else. A daddy is somebody that sacrifices their own well-being, their own happiness, their own privileges, their own proclivities, their own preferences, just to make sure they have. My daughters would be the first to tell you what my saying is. If they're hungry, it's because I'm starving. That is a daddy. And you know when you know you have something beautiful in your life. Father's Day is going to come. And let me tell you what Father's Day celebration is for me. It is not a present. It's not even time. It's none of that. It could be something as simple as a phone call. Daddy, happy Father's Day. I love you. That's all I need. And ladies and gentlemen, that's all most daddies need. Fathers might need a little bit more. The ones that ain't daddies. But the ones who are daddies... We don't need anything more.
than our child's well-being and their love. Nothing on earth beats that. To Samantha and Nyla, daddy tells you every single day, I love you. You know that. Proud of you. The greatest joys that I've ever had in my life are you too. It was that way the day you were born. It's that way today. And it'll be that way until the day I die. Edward Jones. With these questions. Because I don't want y'all seeing me getting mushy on the road like that publicly. Edward Jones says, Stephen A., what do you think of Antonio Brown's arena football team getting kicked out of the league? I know nothing of Antonio Brown's team getting kicked out of the league. It's not a subject that I investigated. I will tell you this. I've been hard on Antonio Brown in the past because of some of his idiotic shenanigans. But somebody brought up CTE. And they said to me whether it was the Vontez perfect hit in the playoffs when he was playing for the Pittsburgh Steelers against the Cincinnati Dingles and that vicious hit that Vontez Burfecht put on him, he had never been the same. Or it was another hit somewhere else. They, they pointed out he's never been the same since then. And since we've learned that CTE is real, there are times I find myself wondering because of the transformation that has taken place with Antonio Brown's behavior, whether or not he's suffering from something. I wish him nothing but the best. I'll tell you when I lost it. When I saw him on stage rapping and he was singing the lyrics, while he was singing, he was rapping. I was like, this is not the all worldwide receiver that I knew and loved. And rap artists, being a rap, a hip hop artist, that ain't your second job. Just, just give it up. What the hell are we going to do next? Ask me to sing? That ain't going to work. When I sing, it's to annoy people for fun because I know I can't. You're going to see me go up on stage and literally try to do it. Spence, the finals are over. Why are you not on vacation yet? Because I own and operate this podcast and I love it. Because I do first take for ESPN and I love it. Because I got the NBA draft coming up and I got to cover it. Because NBA free agency is going to come a couple of weeks late after that. I might take off a week in between, but I don't got to cover it. My brother, it's not a job. I have a career. A job is doing what you have to do to sustain or elevate your quality of life. A career is doing what you want to do. And it just so happens to do those things as well. I have a career. I don't punch clocks. I'm addicted to what I do. And I don't stop until the job gets done. And even then I turn around and go to sleep and I get up the next morning and I start all over and I put forth new goals, new ambitions, new challenges. I'm a locomotive, baby. I'm always coming. That's me. And I'm not going to stop until I drop. Jason writes, if John Morant took a gun picture for Instagram while hunting or at a shooting range, would the NBA look at it differently? If the weapon is legal, why the noise? Great question. The NBA, in all likelihood, would not look at it the same way. If he was hunting, something like that. You're absolutely right. But he wasn't. And that's where 
you got to grow up. You got you to gotta grow up. You can't do that. It can't be about, oh, what if, what if, what if. At some point, it's about what is. He wasn't hunting. He wasn't at a shooting range. He was at a strip club one time in a public venue. That's what the strip club was. And then after that, he was in his car displaying not the best behavior live on Instagram. So you're right. If he was at a shooting range or he was out there hunting, it would not have been a big deal. My question to you is, why aren't you asking why the hell didn't he go to a shooting range or go hunting? Then it wouldn't have been a problem since you want to carry guns. The NBA is not playing. They don't want their product associated with guns. And if that is the position that they take and you are a participant in that league, you have a choice. Keep the gun, do your thing, and forfeit your dollars, or leave it. John Moran came out with a statement, you know. He was the one that said, it's not my behavior. I apologize to my fans. I apologize to my family, my friends, my loved ones, the team, my teammates. He's apologizing to everybody. Why? Because upon reflection, he knows that he made the wrong decision. Why y'all acting like he made the right one? When you know better. Lesson for the weekend. Simple one just to remind you. Do you know the definition of the golden rule? Let me give it to you. Those who have the gold make the rules. It's just that simple. No one's asking you to like it. You just better learn to accept it. If you're ever going to get to where you want to go. I'm out, everybody. Thank you all for joining me for this edition of the Stephen A. Smith Show. As always, make sure to subscribe to the Stephen A. Smith channel. Don't forget to click the bell to get notified about any new content that I've got coming down the pike. I'll be back Monday and Wednesday and Friday, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 1 p.m. Pacific. And who knows what I'll squeeze in in between those other days as well. I love doing this. I love talking to y'all. I can't wait till the technology gets upgraded to a point where I can take some live calls from y'all or at least some voicemail calls and stuff like that. Actually, I could do that now. Get some emails, get some DMs, get some tweets and all of that stuff. I want all of that included in my show. Love doing this. Love talking to y'all on my own content, my own platform. I'm having a blast. I hope y'all are too. But I'm going to have a blast this weekend as well. You make sure you do the same to all the fathers out there, black, white, Latino, and otherwise. We all in this together. Be the best daddies. Hell with being a father. Be the best daddies you can possibly be. Make sure you put your children first. And make sure that the life you're creating for them is on a mission to be the, a lot better than the life you had yourself. Because in the end, that's what it's all about. 
making sure that our future is better than our past. Peace and love, everybody. Talk to y'all Monday. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13, an Odyssey company in association with Stephen A. Podcast Productions. Episodes of No Mercy are available now for free wherever you get your podcasts.